Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. So this is what the chamber looks like when we're actually debating and the bodies are in the chairs. How many times have we been down here giving speeches and there's not a soul in the chamber? Yet this is what it takes to get 440, 435 people in the chamber and have an actual debate. The American people are watching and that's a good thing. What we're doing is exercising our rights to vote and have a debate and have a discussion about the future of this country through the decision of choosing a speaker. So that was uh, Congressman Chip Roy, or Congressman-elect Chip Roy from Texas, talking on the floor of the House yesterday, and there has been no decision yet about a Speaker of the House. So it went through three votes yesterday, and interestingly, Kevin McCarthy lost votes as the process went along. And so the House adjourned yesterday without choosing a Speaker, and there is a lot of drama in Washington today talking about Uh, what Kevin McCarthy's next move will be, and how the 19 and now 20 GOP representatives who did not vote for Kevin McCarthy and voted instead for Andy Biggs and Jim Jordan will come together and perhaps uh, they will conference and caucus and determine uh, who they can support. So you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. Uh, I'm Jenna Ellis. Uh, Of course, you know me as an attorney and former senior advisor to President Trump, also Pastor John MacArthur out in California during the COVID shutdown. And I'm also the host of the Jenna Ellis Show on Salem Media. You can catch that uh, Monday through Thursday at thejennaellisshow.com. So wanted to talk today uh, first, of course, about the speaker issue. So, you know, this is something that uh, a lot of people have opinions on back and forth. We saw uh, a lot of people who were commenting in the news yesterday who are kind of ride or die for Kevin McCarthy saying that these 20 GOP representatives were simply obsessed with their own power. They were obstructionists. A lot of media actually termed them rebels, which I thought was funny because uh, that's actually a badge of honor in my book to to be called a rebel against the establishment. But then people like Matt Gates, uh, like Chip Roy, like others, have said, you know, this place really needs to change. And the fact that there is so much debate that's happening on the floor, and this isn't just an entitlement position for Kevin McCarthy, is actually a good thing. So I tweeted yesterday, you can follow me on social media, at Jenna Ellis ESQ, across social media. And I tweeted yesterday, you know, Kevin McCarthy is just saying that he deserves this and it's his time. Well, that sounds like Hillary Clinton, honestly. And if he's just saying, I've earned it, it's it's my time, I'm the next one, then he's treating this not like a job, but more like a Lifetime Achievement Award. That is not what the Speaker of the House is obligated and mandated to do. And that's certainly not 
what the GOP is electing him for, um, is to just give him the trophy and say, okay, you know, here's the gavel, and why don't you make that speech before the music plays and you get off the stage. So I thought that Chip Roy emerged as one of the best speakers on the House floor, and he said this, that it's not personal But if there's no debate on the floor, then what are we even doing? Listen to this. We haven't been able to offer an amendment on the floor of this body since May of 2016. The former leader and I have discussed this right here. That's true. But the fact is, this place has to change. It has to change. And the change comes by either adopting rules and procedures that will make us actually do our job, or it comes from leadership. And people ask me, what do you want? I want the tools or I want the leadership to stop the swamp from running over the average American every single day. We can't keep doing this. I'm going to sit here until we figure out how to stop spending money we don't have. I don't want any more empty promises. I don't want any more, oh, don't worry, trust us, we'll do it. I want to know that we're going to be able to exercise our rights as a member of this body to stand up for the American people and actually fix this country. And it's not going to happen when we use our men and women in uniform in defense and wrap ourselves around that and then spend more money that we don't have, weakening that defense, weakening our country in the process. I wholeheartedly agree with Congressman Chip Roy, and this place does need to change. In just my few years in the swamp working for President Trump for the campaign, um, you know, I'm just a girl from Colorado who loves my country, loves the Constitution, and had an amazing opportunity to come to Washington to serve a sitting president and seeing the depth of corruption in the swamp, the depth of the self-serving attitudes of people not only in elected office, but also in what we actually call the swamp or the deep state, which of course are these consultants, these other non-elected bureaucratic positions that are more interested in their own power, their own wealth, than actually serving the American people. And this is what needs to stop. And when we look at what happened in 2022, the frustration that I have with Kevin McCarthy is that there were so many really great America First candidates that were running, and yet there was so much money that was spent from uh, not only the Congressional Leadership Fund um, that actually opposed a lot of those candidates or simply didn't fund them at all to help them get over the line, like, for example, Blake Masters out in Arizona, Doug Mastriano for governor of Pennsylvania, um, so many others that were great. But there was this attitude that if the America First candidates didn't succeed, then the GOP could do exactly what they're doing now, which is to say, oh, look, they failed. Oh, look, the average person shouldn't be able to run for office because candidate quality matters and only with our, meaning the party's, designation and salutation to them as the elected uh, best candidates and the nominated candidates, then they're the only ones that get the nod. They're the only ones that can possibly win. So you all, the average American uh, who's listening to this show, 
you guys can't decide for yourselves who you want to vote for. You have to just trust us. That's the type of attitude that really needs to change. Because here in America, we have a citizen-led government. And I don't want anyone in Washington, any judicial branch, any elected official telling me who I can and can't vote for. But I certainly also don't want the gatekeepers to be the two national parties or what has become a uniparty. So uh, Tucker Carlson, who's one of my favorite people, um, he's a good friend and always appreciate his commentary. He said on his show in the opening uh, monologue last night that if you prefer democracy, if you prefer our constitutional republic, we the people getting to select and prefer our leaders, then this debate, rather than this entire Entitlement for Speaker of the House is actually very refreshing. Listen to what Tucker said. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described, especially online, by many as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions, the meaningful ones, are made years in advance by donors. Oh, of course, everyone's on board. That's what they do. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. And that was Tucker Carlson. You are listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And good morning if you are just joining us. And of course, we're talking about the speaker race and the fact that the GOP uh, collective is going to have to determine their next steps today. And certainly we will be following that story. And uh, I, I agree with Tucker that this is very refreshing. And the fact that there isn't an entitlement for the speaker and for McCarthy is a good thing. And a lot of people who are on the Democrat side are saying, oh, look at the disorganization and this is just a circus and ha ha ha. And they're laughing at us. But this is the great thing about conservatism is that we actually get to think for ourselves. We don't just walk in lockstep with each other. We should all have founding uh, foundational principles that are the same and that we abide by, but we should be more like the founders, where the founders unanimously agreed on our Declaration of Independence, on our mandate for government, and yet then they debate it passionately, heatedly, um, with some language that some people would say, well, that's not very uh, presidential, that's not very uh, wise of, of these lawmakers, um, you know, in some very um, colorful terms that they have during the debates, but they were passionate about creating a more perfect union. And they recognized that if we agree on the foundational system and the foundational operation of what the American system is designed and oriented to do, then we can debate all of the rest. We can debate what is the best policy that will fulfill that mandate. How do we preserve and protect our rights that God gave us? Who is the best to be in leadership? And we have throughout American history had very hotly contested elections and leadership positions. So this should be no different. And so why does the GOP think that it needs to act more like the Democrats? So I would say to everybody who is on Twitter or if you're hearing things from your friends or social media, push back on them and say, wait a minute, 
debate is a good thing. More speech is always better to ultimately reveal the truth. So we're going to follow this story, but I wanted to, um, in the last few minutes that we have in this opening segment before my good friend Eric Metaxas joins, really excited uh, for you all to hear from him today. Um, There are a couple of other stories speaking about more debate being better that are going on uh, in our society and culture today. So uh, yesterday, Canadian professor and psychologist uh, Jordan Peterson is now under fire from the Ontario College of Psychologists to submit to what they're terming a mandatory social media communication retraining with their experts. So they're wanting to put him through basically uh, worldview retraining and misinformation training. This sounds a lot like what Jack Phillips uh, from Masterpiece Cake Shop Case was uh, forced to go through with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission or the modern day Star Chamber uh, in Colorado, my home state, because he refused to go along with uh, with compelled speech. And that is one of the biggest and most critical debates that will face Christian conservatives today. And so uh, this college, which of course is out of Canada, but it mirrors a lot of what our uh, state agencies and some of our licensing uh, professions are doing today here in America, requiring that we have a reflection upon our professionalism. And we don't say anything that the state and the tyrants don't want us to. And so that's why Elon Musk has been, in my view, uh, the person of the year, because he is, through Twitter, not only allowing for more speech and more debate, but he is revealing through these Twitter files what has gone on behind the scenes. So yesterday, he also released the next installment of the Twitter files, and he tweeted this, U.S. government agencies are demanding suspension of 250,000 accounts, including journalists and Canadian officials. And so this uh, Twitter drop, if you aren't on Twitter, I would encourage you, even if you're totally passive, you don't interact at all, get on there and create an account just so that you can see what's going on in the news. Of course, you are listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning, where I'll bring you the top headlines and the things that are important in our uh, culture today and what's going on for conservative Christians. But it's very important for us to stay informed what's going on and seeing that when the U.S. government agencies in the past demanded that Twitter suspends 250,000 accounts, what are they afraid of? Why do they want to censor us? Why do they want to uh, compel us to either be silent or to say things that we disagree with? We have freedom of speech in this country. So we'll be right back on Jenna Ellis in the Morning with my good friend, Eric Metaxas. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, we're going to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, in June and September of 2023. And we're going to have a wonderful time seeing Washington and seeing Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington. We're going to go there on the Saturday. We're there. Everywhere we go, Stephen McDowell will be giving us a talk on the 
Christian heritage of America. And that's very important, and it's lost in much of our popular culture today. But Stephen McDowell of the Providence Foundation is a dear brother and has been going with me on these tours for many, many years. I just wouldn't do it without him. He is just an invaluable source, if you will, of information. So we're going to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and George Washington's Mount Vernon. And then we're also going to Jamestown, Williamsburg, and Yorktown. If you want to go with us, then go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Angus King, Senator from the state of Maine. He has served as Senator since 2013 and is the state's former governor. Philippians 2.3 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Angus King as he serves the state of Maine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Lake Superior State University has released its amazing and some might say absolutely necessary list of words and phrases that should be banished from the King's English. Moving forward, phrases like quiet quitting should be given the literary heave-ho. The list is a sort of inflection point on words and phrases that have been overused in the culture. Does that make sense? Now, some might accuse the university of gaslighting wordsmiths. Irregardless, it is what it is. But there is one phrase above all others that earned Lake Superior State's worst of the worst, a phrase that is used liberally whenever a record is broken, whether it be at the Olympics or on Wheel of Fortune. Goat, the greatest of all time. Of course, some might say that using all 10 of the banished phrases in one radio commentary would make one a goat. Be sure to check out my website, toddstarge.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning and welcome if you are just joining us here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis and so excited to have my good friend and your new best friend, Eric Metaxas, who of course is a speaker and radio host himself. He is on the Salem Podcast Network as well with the Eric Metaxas Show. So good morning, Eric Metaxas. Well, good morning to you. What a blessing to be with you. Thank you. 
Yeah, so excited to have you. And, you know, for people who um, I'm sure everyone is familiar with you, but um, I have to tell a, a personal story, of course, um, introducing you. So for those of you who've read Eric's books, of course, Bonhoeffer is uh, probably his most well-read. He's had some great biographies. Um, he was initially um, involved in VeggieTales, for those of you who don't know. But I first met Eric back when I was teaching uh, in Colorado at Colorado Christian University. Eric, you came uh, to speak at a Centennial Institute event where um, I'm still a fellow with the Centennial Institute. And um, Eric came and spoke and I was responsible for uh, taking him back and forth from uh, his hotel to campus and back. And on the way back, if you remember this, Eric, uh, there was an accident on the freeway like there always is in Colorado. It's ridiculous. Um, But there was an accident and we were stuck in traffic. It was really late at night. And there was an ambulance that went down uh, the side and you go, 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 just follow the ambulance, get in the other lane and then drive like a New Yorker. And I was like, oh, this is what happens in New York. And that was my first um, and not only, but it was my first exposure to how the New York life and how Eric Metaxas's crazy fun life is. <laughs> so. That sounds like the most the most carnal thing I've ever done in my life. I apologize. That is so funny. <laughs> Well, because you know they they say ambulance chasers, right? If you're a right. lawyer, you put you and which you are, you know you 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 call the worst kind of lawyer say he's an ambulance chaser. But I thought in this case, you get behind that ambulance and you're just going to hit no traffic. It was it was pure practicality, and I'm ashamed of it. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> well, you know you're welcome, and so of course I'm a hard charging New, New Yorker. It's yes, a, that is a, It's always funny, Jenna, because. You know, I, I never would remember that, but it's so funny. It's like a, it's it's a good reason to think about the fact that the, the, the stuff that you say and do, there are pe- I write about this all the time, right? You have all these heroes that I write about, and you realize that each one of us, whatever you're doing in your life, people are watching you for good or for ill, and it's just so fascinating to me when people remind me of things that happened 10 years ago. I think I never would have remembered that, but obviously it spoke to you that Eric's a hard-charging New Yorker. There's good and there's bad in that. But the fact is, now that you mention this, I do remember it, and it just cracks me up. Thank you. Yes, and and that's so well said and reminds us all as Christians that we always need to be treating every interaction as though we are testifying to the truth of the gospel of Christ. None of us, um, especially me included, will ever be uh, the perfect example of that. But you're so right that people will remember things and interactions that we won't, that we'll think, oh, that was just you know a regular Tuesday. But maybe for yeah. them, that was one of the most right. important uh, parts of their life. You know, right. my, my good friend Dan Bongino um, told me one time, he said, you know, every interaction that you have with someone who wants to come up and say hi to you, wants to, you know, pray with you, wants to talk to you, um, for you, it might just be 30 seconds, but for them, they might have been waiting the whole day to talk to you. And that um, that was That's something great. that, yeah, that really I, I hadn't thought about in that way before. Um, and so that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Um, but Eric, first, I, I want to get your uh, perspective on the future of the GOP, what's happening uh, in this speaker race really quickly. And then I want to get yeah. to an even more important conversation, which is the state of the church today. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, we have to put our cards on the table. We are living through a war, and many of us 
were asleep for a long time. We did not realize how bad things were. We did not realize that genuine evil is at work in our time, undermining uh, the American founders' vision of this country. They've been working silently like termites. And because of Trump, in a way, things began to get disrupted and people began to wake up. And I think that we now know that a lot of the people in the Republican Party that we thought were generally on our team could not care less about the founders' vision, about the little people, we the people who vote. It's called America. They don't care. They care about their own power. Some of them are purely nefarious. Others are just ignorant, power-hungry, drifting along the way people do. And I, and I think it is very healthy by the, God, by, by the grace of, of God that we are waking up and we're dealing with the fact that people like Mitch McConnell, for example, you realize that guy, um, when it suited him, he would go along. He helped Trump in many ways, but the minute it didn't suit him, he just turned right around and uh, he and his wife <laughs> criticized the president. In other words, there are people that are basically in love with power. They have forgotten the founders' vision that we are to serve the people. And so the disruption that's happening right now, it is a very healthy sign. Uh, it can go wrong. We have to be careful. But it is a tremendously healthy sign. I think people have prayed for decades that we would have this kind of disruption and that we would begin to uncover who is really serving the people, who gets it, who cares, and who doesn't. And, and I think that the battle over uh, Kevin McCarthy right now is a classic example of that. Finally, somebody, some group of people are willing to stand up and say, hey, we're looking for this in a speaker. If you're not going to be that, get out. And so to me, um, if McCarthy ends up being speaker, he understands that he better get it right. He better fight for what most people in America want him to fight for. Uh, and so I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but uh, I am glad that this is happening right now. Obviously, uh, Ronna McDaniel has to go uh, as the head of the RNC. There are a lot of people in yes. there that they're worse than useless. And so something really healthy is happening right now. Yeah, very well said. And uh, we're talking with Eric Metaxas, who is the host of the Eric Metaxas Show on Salem Podcast Network, also on the radio. And you've read, I'm sure, um, a lot of his books. And Eric, I agree with you. And I think this is a very good thing. And when you're talking about people in elected office who value their own power and their chameleon sort of attitude where you saw them standing up for President Trump and his policies when it suited them. And then, of course, when it didn't, uh, maybe during the first impeachment, the second impeachment, you had people like Kevin McCarthy even, who first impeachment, he was pretty strong. And then the second impeachment, he stood on the floor of Congress and and basically said that President Trump was responsible for what happened on January 6th. And so you have this uh, manipulation of 
of what the elected offices should be, which is, as you say, to serve the American people. So how do we get back to holding our elected officials accountable when so many people, and I know so many listeners um, who are across America right now are thinking, okay, but I only have one vote. And I may not have a large Twitter account. I may not have Kevin McCarthy's number on speed dial. How can we best invest as Christians in our culture and in politics um, to affect that kind of change? Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is you have to keep your eyes on the Lord, because we, each of us has a different role to play. Not, not everyone is going to do the same thing. When, you know, when I speak about uh, you know, the people that I've written about, uh, William Wilberforce, Bonhoeffer, th- there's not going to be another William Wilberforce, not going to be another Bonhoeffer, you have to be you. We have to look at the sphere we have around us and worry about what is God calling me to do? Is the Lord calling me to run for the school board? Is the Lord calling me to take my kids uh, out of that school and to homeschool them? What is God calling me to do today, tomorrow? And if every one of us will do that, everything will change. Now, the question of, you know, sometimes a lot of us follow politics like sports. And, and I think there are some people, they have to follow politics less. They have to stop, you know, acting as though watching what's going on in this battle or that battle is going to affect the world. I mean, you and I, to some extent, have to do that. But I, but I think that if everyone will do what God calls them to do, now, part of that is being a good citizen. And I think that's the biggest thing that has suffered over the decades. We've all gotten this lie, this memo, that it doesn't matter what I do, I just need to pay my taxes and and keep my head down. It's like, no, 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 no. If you want to be a free citizen, and I wrote about it in my book, If You Can Keep It, If You Can Keep It is when Benjamin Franklin was asked, "What what are you giving us there in the Constitutional Convention, Dr. Franklin? What did you pull off in that building in the summer of 1787? Did you give us, you know, the first actual republic in the history of the world? that's going to function with self-government, people government. Is that even possible? Or did he give us a monarchy, a, you know, a good monarchy? Maybe it's not King George III. Maybe it's George Washington, a different monarchy with some checks and balances. What did he give us? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And the idea is every single citizen has to keep the republic, has to pay a price. It's kind of like when we talk about, well, i got to tithe in my church. Well, Why? It's a principle that, that you, have to, you have to pay into the system. You're a part of it. it is, you are the one that is responsible for the church being the church. And, and if you just sit back and say, well, I don't have to do anything. I'll let the priest or let the pastor or let the – you've missed it. The same thing goes with, with being a patriotic American citizen. If you want freedom, you have to pay into it. You have to live into it. You have to, you know, whether it's serve on a jury, get involved in, 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 in voting, definitely vote, pay attention. Every one of us in a free republic, uh, if you want to govern yourself, you have to do more than just vote. And there are many people that don't even vote. They're, they're so pure that they won't vote for somebody who is not, you know, on the elder board of their church. That's sick thinking. That is not biblical thinking. It's not American thinking. So every single American has to do something with your time, with your money. You have to care about freedom in the same way that you care about the church 
being the church. This is a biblical principle, and I think I'll never forget when George W. Bush said, you know, with the, with the war on terror, everybody just needs to get back to shopping. Well, part of that sends a message like, hey, listen, we've got, you know, professional military. You just do your thing. Don't worry about it. And I thought to myself, well, that's not, the, that's not America. America is, if we're in a, in, a, in a war on a foreign soil, everyone needs to think, do I need to enlist? Is there anything I can do for the war effort? We need to be in that mode that we are all in this together, and only by, by God's grace can we prevail. But every single one of us has a job to do. So some of it is to be really political, uh, but, but, but sometimes uh, you don't have that in your sphere, but you have a voice, you have social media. What are you sharing on social media? Are you sharing pictures of kitty cats, or are you sharing pictures uh, – uh, or are you sharing things, important stories and things like that? So I just say to everybody, we've all got to be involved in our sphere. And, and, and for every single person, that is going to be different. But the question whether you should be involved, that's not a question. We need to be more involved. If every American who loves this country will get involved and will speak and will do different things, everything will change. And that, to me, is where we are now. We're, we're waking up to the fact that I have a role, even if it's a small role, I better take it seriously. Yeah, and so well said, Eric Metaxas. And, you know, it reminds me of the three spheres of government that God ordained, which, of course, is uh, the civil government, the family government, and the church government. And so often we think of involvement in our civil society so much more than we think about exercising our freedoms when we are in our church uh, system and our family system. And if more Christians would be more attenuated and invested and part of the church and the family, then the government would shrink back down to the size that it should originally uh, was intended to be, that it should be. And and we have this... exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And we have this like weird myopic focus on saying, well, the government should solve all my problems. And, you know, the leftists have this idea of the collective and the collective good where we have a very interesting tension of wanting a collective good in terms of America as a whole, as a nation, as a society. We all are investing in that. But we also have individual rights and freedoms and the right to pursue happiness means the right to exercise our God-given rights in the way that he is calling us to, exactly as you describe. And if people would understand that tension and not just say we'll get involved as, as some kind of esoteric concept, but to say that involvement genuinely means doing what God has for us daily in our jobs, whether or not that's in politics, in our churches, which is mandatory in the Bible, and in our families. We are all part of a family unit. And to focus on the church and the family so that government can be smaller. So I'm talking with my good friend, Eric Metaxas. He's host of the Eric Metaxas Show and the podcast on Salem Podcast Network. He's going to join us again after the break. And I want Eric to talk to you about the golden triangle of freedom that you so eloquently describe in your book. We'll be right back with Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial-strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests, plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. God has pulled all the threads together and put us in his master tapestry so that we play a part in all that God is doing. Every single one of us is a thread or a part of that great tapestry that God is embroidering. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Nigeria once said to me, you know, America has sent more missionaries into the world than any other nation before it. But the nation that once sent missionaries has now become the mission field. As you consider the calling God has for you, I just want to remind you, that just as other nations need missionaries, we need missionaries in America, too. There are a lot of neighborhoods right here in our country that desperately need evangelism and discipleship. Let's not forget about them. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning and good morning to those who are just joining. I am so blessed to have my good friend Eric Metaxas joining me today to talk about freedom and liberty and what it means to exercise our rights in our American society and how we do that. So you know Eric Metaxas from The Eric Metaxas Show. You can find him at ericmetaxas.com. And he, of course, has written a host of books. And two of my favorites, Eric, are If You Can Keep It and your brand new book, Letter to the American Church. So I want to talk about both of those. And one of the things that was new for me that unlocked a, a great way of thinking about liberty was how you describe this golden triangle of freedom in your book, If You Can Keep It. So what is that and why is it important? 
Well, first of all, I stole that idea from my dear friend, Oz Guinness. I'll never forget when he talked about this. This happens to me a lot where somebody will say something, I'll read something, and I'll spin my head around and I'll think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you, how have I never heard this before? This is mind blowing. This changes everything. Am I the only one that missed this? And then I realized, no, nobody's heard of this. And then I started getting angry. And I think, wait a minute. We have to tell the world. We've just discovered something. I've discovered something. And when Oz Guinness talked about this, I even remember asking him, I said, Oz, have you written about this? Have you spoken about it? He, you know, he's British. He's English. He, he's, he's, he's diffident and, and, and humble. And I said, listen. I got to get this idea out to the world more than he has because he's, of course, written about it. But I eventually wrote my book, If You Can Keep It, which I was referencing. And in that book, which I wish I could give to every single American, because I, w- I always think like if, if, if everybody understood this, it would change the country because we have spent 50 years n- not teaching this stuff, not hearing this stuff in the culture. But at the heart of the idea The Golden Triangle of Freedom. I'll say it quickly, and then I'll explain it. The Golden Triangle of Freedom is an idea that Oz Guinness says all the founders understood this idea, but Oz is the one that that shaped it as this term, the Golden Triangle of Freedom. And so Golden Triangle of Freedom is basically that liberty, which really is the same thing as self-government, which is why we have to really understand what is liberty, what is freedom. Self-government and liberty requires virtue. Every one of the founders understood this. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, there was none of of founders that did not understand that what they were talking about in terms of this self-government, liberty, freedom, that it could be possible without virtue. They all understood it. Most of them wrote about it. I quote them in the book, if you can keep it, because they said, listen, If the government is not forcing you to do X, Y, or Z, why would you do it? Well, you'll only do it if you have virtue. If you say, I'm not going to steal because I believe stealing is wrong. I don't need a a, a policeman to keep me from stealing. I don't need a threat. I will do the right thing on my own. That's called virtue. So they all understood freedom requires virtue. They also understood that virtue requires faith. Why are you virtuous? Well, most people would do the right thing and be virtuous because they have some kind of faith that says, I I fear God. I care about God says stealing is wrong. God says lying is wrong. Corruption is wrong. Uh, So I will do these things and I will be virtuous. But the founders said this almost always comes from faith. So but the key piece to close the triangle. So freedom requires virtue. Virtue requires faith. But faith in term requires freedom because the government can't force faith. The government can't force people to have a quiet time and go to Bible study and go to church because they used to have that in Europe. Everybody in this country has to go to this church or be a member of the Church of England or be a member of the Catholic Church. The founders said, no, faith has to arise freely, otherwise it's not real faith. So they gave us freedom of religion, and they said, we believe that if the people choose rightly and they have real faith, it's going to be a beautiful, vibrant faith. It's not going to be a dead faith that they go they go to that church or they sign that document because the government tells them to. It's going to come from within, 
It's going to be real faith. There will be real virtue and real self-government and round and round it goes. When I understood this, I said, this is something that should be taught in every single school in America. Every American needs to understand this is why for two and a half centuries we've been able to be free. And to the extent that we've forgotten this idea, we've ceased to be free. And that is exactly where we are now. So I I put it in that book. I talk about it. Yeah, and uh, and we we may have a problem with Eric's line, but uh, just to take over with with that, the golden triangle of freedom, as so eloquently stated, Eric, um, and I think we have you back. Um, but this, to me, when this idea was unlocked, and when I first read about it in your book, and I'm so grateful you wrote that book, if you can keep it, so that you could give this idea to the masses and to reach people like yeah. me, um, yeah. I understood this in a way that put in perspective what self-government actually means in context. Because how this is taught, if it's taught, and where the issue of, for example, the difference between conservatism and libertarianism comes in is that a lot of people think self-government means the ability to determine for myself what right. is the measurable difference between right and wrong? So therefore, self-proclaim what virtue means and excise from civil society any element of faith. So this idea that self-government means every man can do what's right in his own eyes, we then don't have meaningful, objective virtue, and we don't right. have faith. Because virtue, right. why virtue requires faith is because if it's truly virtuous, if it's truly good, we have to have an objective definition and a measurable difference between good and evil from an objective source that's outside right. of man. And so when we explain our self-government society as, well, my truth versus your truth, then we get right. into a subjective <laughs> notion of virtue, which is exactly what both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, unfortunately, are pushing yeah. for today. So this should be taught in schools, but this also needs to be taught in the churches. Why aren't churches teaching oh. self-government? Well, actually, that's the thing, Jenna. You're, you're talking about something. The government cannot force this, right? Now, this, this is true, but the government can never force people to get the truth. So they, they can encourage it. But it has to be free. It has to be taught in schools. It has to be taught uh, in the media, in the culture, in the films that we watch, and definitely in the churches and around the family tables so that everyone knows these things. Because if you have a country where people don't understand this, it goes away. And so just as you're saying, these truths, most people, I mean, today, if you want to talk about the transgender issue, most people with any common sense understand a man can never become a woman, a woman can never become a man. That's a joke. People talk about it like it's a thing. If you work on a farm, if you have any common sense, you understand this is just looniness, right? And, and I think that most of the ideas that make us free, they come from common sense, they come from reality, and ideologues often try to twist these things away. So we, the people, have to reassert ourselves and say, no, good is good, and right is right, and true is true. And we, we have to understand that that is a part of what it is to be free. So when you have libertarians talking about 
well, freedom really means just we can all do whatever we want to do without harming people. You think, well, no, that's going to break down. We're not going to have freedom. So inevitably, virtue and faith are at the heart of what we call American-style government. We can't force people to go to church with us, but we, we, we can't stop talking about these things. We have to help most people understand that whether you like it or not, there's this thing called reality. It was created by God, and truth emanates from it. And this has to be part of the warp and woof of the culture. And most of that ought to be coming out of churches. And that brings us to the new book that I wrote, Letter to the American Church, where I say many churches have completely abdicated their role shamefully, horribly. And if you want to know why, why the country is speeding to hell it is because churches have stepped back and said, oh, I'm going to stay in my lane. My lane's a theological lane. Baloney. If you believe in the God of truth, you bring Jesus into every sphere of life, including politics, including education and media and all those kinds of things. And I make the parallel in the book, Letter to the American Church, that this is exactly the mistake the church made in Germany in the 1930s. Good pastors got this wrong and the country and the world was thrown into a satanic mess like we've never seen. That's what's happening in America today, and that's why my message in Letter to the American Church is directly to the churches to say, God has called you to get this right, and if you want to take a back seat, God is going to judge you, just as he judged the church in Germany. You're getting this wrong, and the Lord is depending on you to get it right for the sake of the nation and ultimately for the sake of the world. Yeah, and, and if your pastor has not read this book, Letter to the American Church, by Eric Metaxas, my good friend that joins me this morning, get a copy and give it to your pastor and encourage your pastor to speak truth because you're so right, Eric, that the Christian life and the whole truth of the gospel of Christ and everything that is contained in the Bible that tells us how we should live is everything that pastors need to be teaching, and that includes the whole idea that all of law is inescapably moral. And and so when you are confronted with this idea in, in society, in secular society, that unfortunately a lot of pastors have assented to, even tacitly, some, some overtly, that we can't push our religion on anyone because it is a choice. We are a free society. So therefore, I can only preach to the people who decide to show up on Sunday. Then we have missed the entire point of what it means to be good citizens and to self-govern. And we've also lost the point of the church. I mean, imagine if parents said, well, I can only talk to my kids and I can only encourage them in the truth when they are in the four walls of the home. But as soon as they step outside into school, into church, into, into something else, then I can't talk to them anymore. I mean, imagine that. It would be ridiculous. Parents are involved in literally every single aspect, hopefully, of their children's lives. And pastors need to encourage people who are part of the church that God is a part of every single thing that we do. And when we say that faith, uh, virtue requires faith and faith uh, requires freedom and, and so on around the triangle, what we're saying is that we have to reject this idea that it's my truth in the four walls of the church, but then it's your truth however you would like to live right. in society. That's right. Because virtue is objective, 
And there is no way that we can self-govern without a common set of principles and a measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil that is enforced in our society. And when it's not enforced, you get the chaos today, Eric Metaxas. And the funny thing is, you can have that kind of dead faith in China. You can go to China, and they could say, there's an official church, you can go in there, you can believe and say anything you want in that building, but once you leave that building, you bow to the secular atheist authority of the state. Many pastors in America, many Christians in America, have, have self-censored along those Marxist lines. They've said, well, in that building on Sunday morning, I do my Christian thing. When I leave, uh, I'm, um, you know, uh, I have to go along with the state. I've got to get the vaccine. I've got to do what I'm told. I've got to not say this on social media. And I think to myself, wait a second. What has happened in America? In America, if your faith, does not come out of that building on Sunday morning and affect every part of your life, every day of the week, it is dead faith. The book uh, is titled Letter to the American Church, but I was going to call it Faith Without Works is Dead. We have acceded to this idea that our faith is supposed to be private. It's not supposed to affect how I vote, if I vote, whether I talk about politics, whether I talk about issues. It's, I'm supposed to just quote-unquote preach the gospel, and you think, no, that is biblically wrong. The Scripture commands us to speak truth, to, to uh, denounce evil, to denounce corruption, we're to be salt and light in the culture, and these pernicious ideas have been destroying this nation for decades, and it's why I wrote a letter to the American Church, because God looks to His Church first and foremost to be the voice of truth, to be His voice in the culture, you didn't say, we wouldn't say to William Wilberforce, hey, keep your, your anti-slavery views private. That's just a Christian thing. When you leave the church, you know, you're in politics, it's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, truth is truth. If it's true, and it's revealed by God to me that we're all made in God's image, I'm going to speak up uh, for the unborn. I'm going to speak up for this. I'm going to speak up for that. Speak God up. has commanded me to do that. And absolutely. And Eric Metaxas, I so, so appreciate your time today. Everyone, please read his book. Give it to your pastor. Letter to the American Church. Read if you can keep it. Learn more about the Golden Triangle of Freedom. Learn about how to be a good citizen and part of God's kingdom here in America. I'm Jenna Ellis. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can find Eric Metaxas at ericmetaxas.com. And join me each and every weekday at 8 a.m. Eastern. I will see you tomorrow morning.